Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 110 of the Everton Motor Racing Podcast. Um, unfortunately, this week we haven't got Cameron and we haven't got Lauren, but don't worry, you don't have to listen to just me yapping away for an hour. So don't worry, I've brought in help from Axel Peterson. Hello, Axel. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Yeah, good. Um, it's a nice, uh, cool winter night here in Australia, but um, the super sub is ready to be back on the job. Yeah, nice. And Axel actually brings a lot of experience himself uh, about racing, because obviously you race in the Thailand Championship. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's right. At the moment, I'm uh, racing for a Thai team backed by uh, Valvoline Asia Pacific. And yeah, I'm currently uh, second in the championship, uh, one point behind the leader, and we've got the final races of the season in um, just seven days. Oh, oh my God. So... Next is it next weekend then coming up? Yeah, or the one after. Sorry, yeah, less than, ah, okay. a, less than a week until we go to um, start the race. Yeah, nice. Race week. That's, I bet you're gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be a nervy time for you, isn't it, heading into that? <laughs> yeah, the uh, mentalities. Honestly, it's normally like we have one race in a weekend, so it's a yeah. long lead up. You know, probably like three or four days of riding just for one race but this time we've got two races so 50 points up for grabs and anything can really happen and i've had a win this year in two seconds and my rivals had two wins and a third so it's very very neck and neck yeah it is especially obviously you kind of have to eke out the points then or maybe win a few more races because it'll if it goes on a tie he's got more victories doesn't he yeah exactly and I, I know what I have to do and I'm just going to absolutely send it. You know, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm tunnel vision at this point. A lot of people would be nervous, but I know I have a job to do and I'm, I'm really yeah. ready to like, ready to get on with it. That's just like the Aussie mantra and it just send it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been in a position where last year I was still able to win the championship going into the final race and I knew to win the championship, I had to win the race. And it was all going sweet. I'd actually never read, like, never led a national championship race before. But then, like, immediately from lap one, I took the lead. And in my class, I was leading the race for the whole race. But then, unfortunately, on the last lap, you know, my head got in my way. I think, and then I, mm. I just, I bended on the last lap. No. Yeah, yeah. So I had to live with that. You know, the last thought before I would go to sleep, and then the first thought in the morning for for months. But then, mm-hmm. getting back this year, I was hungrier than ever. Let's just say. Good, yeah. Well, good luck with that one. Um, yeah, thank you. Wish you all the luck. Wish you all the success in the world for that one. Um, any ideas what you're doing next year? By the way, before we go into the actual podcast. <laughs> yeah, next year. Um, I'm currently doing uh, my undergraduate mechanical engineering degree, so it's been. Uh, very difficult to balance racing with schoolwork and even now I'm finding myself um, watching the races even in the the Grand Prix level a lot less but Mm -hmm. there's nothing better than on a Sunday night after you know a whole weekend of assignment work just sitting down to watch the GP but yeah Mm -hmm. right now uh, 2024 is currently undecided. Okay interesting interesting I guess we'll see um but yeah, so good luck with all that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But yeah, all right. Um, but yeah, heading into MotoGP this weekend. Um, I think the the weekend kind of kicked off 
was a selection of chaos and drama in the headlines with lots of rumours floating around that Mark Marquez had actually signed with the Grassini Ducati squad for next year, breaking his deal with Honda. That was kind of like, if anything, that was a done deal as of Friday and Thursday. That was like, that is going to happen. But Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly what I heard. I, um, I heard even some absurd rumours that he was going to buy out the entire team. Yeah, the yeah the there was a few yeah that he was going to buy the entire team, which he can afford to, and bring Red Bull, Repsol, and Australia Galicia along with him. Yeah, that would have been a um, a real cool um, situation, I reckon. Like with with a team with those kinds of sponsors, with that backing, with the Marquez brothers on the Ducati, I think that would be unbeatable. Yeah, that would be sensational. Even if it's like a year old bike, it's still it's pretty impressive. I mean, Bezzetti's on a year old bike and he was second this weekend, so he's third in the championship. So it just shows that it doesn't really matter what you're on as long as you're you're there. The bikes aren't too different from one another and yeah, like you say Marquez Mark Marquez on a Ducati would be Yeah, special. Um but then Puage did an interview a bit later on saying that Marquez hadn't even told them that he was going to leave. So that was a bit of like a weird one. I feel like that's smoke and mirrors because as far as Pooj wants people to know, Marquez has a contract in place for 24 and mm. it's bad to admit as a team boss that you don't know what kind of state you have your riders contracted under. <laughs> yeah, especially at this level. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's gnarly. But then, I think it was Sunday. There was a interview posted by there. We no, I can't find it. I did screenshot it, but I cannot absolutely find it where anywhere. But basically, a member close to the Honda team who knows about them very well and knows ins and outs of it, kind of like Speed Week of Red Bull, because. Red Bull uh, owns Speed Week, so if they put a rumour about a Red Bull rider, it's more than likely to be true. And the same with this guy, it's very much, you know, he's he's the man, he knows what he's talking about kind of thing. Um, and he said that Mark Marquez will remain with Honda next year. And it just kind of became from hype to simmering down quite a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, you could go both ways with this. You could say... Well, if if there's rumours, that means there's something going on. But then yeah. you can also say that contracts are contracts, and I know Honda have good faith, and you know they they thank Mark Marquez for the for his service throughout the last few years. But yeah. they don't want to hold on to him if he's not happy. You know, you can't force a dog to do tricks if he's you know not fed. Mm, that's it. Like, because he's hungry for wins. He's not hungry for anything. He doesn't care about the money. He gets 25 million a year. But after so many 25 millions a year, if you're not winning, it just becomes like second nature. Not second nature, but it just becomes a byproduct, if anything, of what you're getting. You're there to win races. You're not there to earn money. Marquez never came into this sport as a kid to earn millions of dollars or euros or whatever country you use. You know, he never came in for it in to do that. He came in to win races and 
that's the fundamental of every single racer out there. Every single racer is on track to win races. And when you've won eight titles and you're very accustomed to winning races and now you can barely scrape the top 10, money is just nothing at this point. To the point where you could, like you said, like the whole rumor about him buying Grassini is, is a mental rumor, but he can afford to do it. <laughs> yeah, and if, if I were him, it, it wouldn't be off the cards, I think. No. Grassini's, you know, they've got a good uh, team going within the few first few years of their um, inception and the Ducati a year old bike with Bez you can see he's doing doing a good job on it and you know a year old championship winning bike is a lot better than a four year old championship winning bike let's yeah. say if we look at the Honda <laughs> yeah exactly I mean the Honda really only worked under Marquez because you had everybody else who tried it. Danny Pedrosa, Jorge Lorenzo, Alex Marquez, Paul Spargo, now Johan Mir who can't even finish a race these days. They're all struggling on it. And the fact that even Marquez is now suffering just kind of, it really just damp, like adds a bit of a blow to it really because Honda kind of always were able to rely on Mark Marquez that, to kind of carry the ship. You know, like, oh, it's terrible you know, everything's gone to pot, but at least Marcus is winning races so we can kind of cover up the dust a little bit, cover up the fire a bit and go, you know what, we're still winning races, we're still won the championship, but now Marcus can't even do that. It just shows, and it makes Honda's problems so much worse because they can't even collect some silverware out of it or collect a championship out of it or some wins out of it because, well, they're nowhere near. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... If I were Mark Marquez, I, I wouldn't even want to be riding around on that bike right now. I would take the rest of the year off to break the contract, get the body back to 100%. Because even if he's not injured, you know, the fact that he's rushed so many injuries must mean he just can't sustain the current schedule of MotoGP. Mm, that would be my yeah. that'd be my theory. Yeah. Um, to go back as well, it was Emilio Perez de Rosas uh, who works for El Periodico. Uh, in Spain, he says that Marquez will stay in Honda, but Marquez today has had a talk because obviously today is Monday. It's not obvious to you guys, but we're recording on Monday. Right now, MotoGP are testing in Mazzano, and Marquez has actually said that he will decide on his 2024 season around India slash Japan. So we could know in the next two, three weeks about where he will go. Yeah, India will be interesting, but um, yeah. if he's going to stay at Honda, he'll announce it in Japan, but if yeah, he's going to leave, so. we'll hear it in India. Yeah, absolutely, spot on. It's um, a good point, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so if we don't hear point. anything in India, we can kind of draw to the fact that he's probably going to stay at Honda. Yeah. Also, speaking of India, you know the new track? Um, it's like a purpose-built one, wasn't it? Well, um, I believe it's not actually new. I think it's the old Formula the One Buddha. track, which is as That's far as I know. Right. Yeah. yeah, the Buddha International Circuit. That is the old F1 track. But there was a race over the weekend. And I don't know if you saw, but cars on the straight were like jumping, like actually like jumping on the straight. Oh, I've, I've seen onboard videos of, of this track and the tarmac looked fairly bumpy. I'll just... Um, really? pull up that clip you were talking about the cars recently yeah yeah. that's crazy no. though if if that's 
as um I think it was on the weekend, like but yeah, um and yeah, all the Moto GP like obviously um there we go, cars going air on Yeah, shoot that over to me. I just sent it. I've accidentally just recorded the audio onto the podcast as well, so sorry oh, about no. that. <laughs> <laughs> to anyone listening, but yeah, I just sent it over. Cars literally going airborne for the jump yeah, over. Let's it. See this. You, so these look like listen. Formula Three or Formula Four cars, just for yeah. the viewers to know. And yeah, they they're on the main straight and just <laughs> about pit exit. They are <laughs> bobbing around. That does not yeah. look. Like yeah. I really hope that's been fixed. It looks like it could be an old, older clip. I'm hoping. Yeah, it's two years old. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not as old as I thought it was. But yeah, if you want to see that for yourself, just type in the Buddha International Circuit bump onto YouTube, and you can have a look at them literally jumping. I think to pass the FIM homologation, they would have had to sort out these issues. But there's been it a lot of issues about this track. Rumored, has apparently. It no, and I was told surprised. by. Um, someone in the Grand Prix paddock quite early in the year and even last year when I was speaking to the likes of Remy Gardner he was mm. told last year that India won't go ahead because really? yeah. they need to was... they need to rebuild like half the track Jesus well on the ninth, so two days ago um, riders were given like an Indian MotoGP safety update um, in the safety commission meeting, and it was basically a vision video presentation on the last minute safety updates made at the circuit. Because um, there's a few corners where the walls are really close. Yeah, it's it's definitely a car track, you know. Like yeah, when I when I looked at it, it's. I mean, the first two corners look a bit like Catalonia turn one and two, but yeah. um, then, like turn three. The exit of that, that is insane. That it's like you exit and if you were to high side, there's about three meters before the wall on the track exit. Yeah. Like it sketchy, isn't it? I I hope that they've amended that. I wouldn't be comfortable racing at that. No, I wouldn't either, especially when the walls are so close. Like Alex Marquez was like, eh, about him. Fabio was like, Well, it doesn't look too bad from the walls kind of thing from the video footage but he said it's hard to draw a conclusion until he's on the bike kind of thing but oh for sure yeah it's interesting because Alicia Spargo you know the man who's always yapping on about safety he missed the safety commission meeting for the first time in five years due to whiplash injury wow but like I can imagine if he was there I can imagine he would have kicked <laughs> up a storm if he wasn't too happy about it yeah Normally, I'm the one in the rider meetings kicking up the storm about safety, but, um, mm. you know, the the GP riders know best, and they're the ones who have to hop on the bike and ride it, but I'm sure that they must have changed the position of the walls, but if there was that meeting that occurred and that they're still talking about safety, yeah, it, we could be in for a bit of an interesting race weekend, and not to, like, disrespect the country or anything. I know yeah. India's got great... Um, motorcycling pedigree you know Bajaj yeah, the Indian bike manufacturer they own a majority stake in KTM and TVS yeah. Racing you know they've got their own whole one make class in the Asian championships now that are riding faster lap times than 
the actual 250 productions and they've got like carbon wheels and all sorts of stuff and it's that's innovation that's coming out of that country and in, in, in the bike realm so there's definitely the people there to do it it just seems like maybe someone signed a deal and it was a bit of a rush job let's just say that's just donor for you unfortunately <laughs> like they're pretty much going to any country that'll pay them enough money to do it without the sport going under so I think there must have been a lot of money been put in because I don't know the because la- F1 used to race there, but they haven't raced there in quite a while. Yeah, I believe it was look. 2013, the final yeah. Formula One Grand Prix there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the circuit is best known as a venue for the annual Formula One Indian Grand Prix, which was first hosted in 2011. However, the Grand Prix was suspended for 2014 and cancelled due to a tax dispute. Okay, but yeah, like. In, for 2022, um, it was planned that the Buddha International Circuit would host events for the Formula Regional Indian, Indian Championship and the F4 Indian Championship, but they're both cancelled as well. And now it'll host the Indian GP MotoGP from 2023. But it doesn't seem like much is riding around there at the moment or going around there. I've seen some clips of track days, but... yeah. Yeah, I it think looks... the a- ARRC races in it. They've raced in there from 2016. Let's have a look. Yeah, and if a- Asia Road Racing aren't aren't there, then mm. you know they go to they go to all the tracks in Asia. Yeah, I'll have a look. I'm not sure. Um, I'll have a look quickly whilst I'm here to check the calendar. Let's have the FIM posted the thing. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they, they go to all. Yeah, like you said, they've gone. Thailand, Malaysia, Japan, Round Falls, TBC. I think it is, it's gone now. So I'll have a look. China and Thailand. So they're not even riding at that circuit now. And now yeah, MotoGP is going there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Asia Road Racing, you know, they used to ride at like circuits like Sentul and stuff. You know, they mm. were pr- pretty sketchy. But um, now they don't even race there. And Asia Road Racing is only at you know, grade one tracks and it's it's very good to see. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. But it's like why are we going to this track if no one else is going wanting to go there? <laughs> yeah. Um funnily enough, in my uh domestic championship there's actually a lot of riders that come over from India. Yeah. And um I spoke to one of the riders who's a KTM rider back in India and he was telling us about how um, it was like a big event supported by KTM to bring um, the GP to India. Uh, okay, yeah, because KTM India do a lot of things. Um, yeah. They had Jeremy Williams, they had the three KTM RC Cup champions. With Jeremy yeah. Williams, lot last time out, time before yeah. Catalonia. Yeah, one of those one of those riders was the one that I um, raced uh. against in, back in Thailand. Okay, yeah, I can't remember their names, but yeah, KTM do a lot over in India, because Jeremy Williams goes out there a lot and rides as well and does like things for KTM and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I'm excited. The layout looks good. It looks interesting. It looks fun. So I'm quite excited to see how the riders get on with that. I'm thinking it's a probably a um, Aprilia Ducati kind of track. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, so. it looks very stop-starty, to be honest. Yeah, but honestly, if Fabio said he's not worried about the walls 
and the walls are as bad as we've seen in some of the videos, then, mm. you know, fortune may favor the brave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it depends, because if enough riders kick off about the walls, then they might not even... There is definitely... I've got a photo here, actually, turn two. I'll just send it now. You come down that straight. If if it's the way... I can't... I don't know the layout, of course, but if it's... Yeah, it is, right? So you come towards us in that photo. If you tip off at the exit of that turn, just straight into that wall. Ah, that's the final corner. That's the final corner. That's the final corner. Uh, yeah, okay, that's... that's okay. That's not as bad, then. Yeah. Now you should look at uh, search up an image of turn three and four complex. Turn I think that will be the one that will. Have a look. So I've got yeah. an aerial view. Yeah. When I um. When I have a look at that one, especially on the video MotoGP released, that one mm. looks a little bit gnarly. What about this one? I'm sending now. There you go. That looks gnarly. If you crash there, <laughs> yeah, and that 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 again looks like the final corner, like the oh, pit entry. Okay. I think it might I'm be trying. on the new game. You know, it might be on. I think it's on the new MotoGP 23. Yeah, game. we we should um hop on that. That could be insightful. Yeah, I have to like. I don't actually have it, but I'm sure I can. Put it you can make there. a make a post on on the Instagram. With what it looks yeah. like in the game. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Because, honestly, the video that MotoGP released came out about a year ago, but they mm. probably would have been working on it in the game up until six months ago. So, yeah, absolutely. You never know. It's like an onboard of it now. So yeah, have a look lane. at that. It looks fun, though, to be fair. It looks ace. Oh, yeah, like, like turn one, layout. the straight on it is absurd. <laughs> Yeah, the guy's I... crashed. No, has he? Okay. Yeah, but okay. And they've added like a little chicane in as well. But it's just weird. Like, mm, I mean, I mean, I'm intrigued. So, for anyone listening, hop on to YouTube and just type in "Motors GP23 gameplay Indian GP." You can see some people doing laps of it. It does look good. I do see where the walls are a bit close. If you have a fast crash, I do see people kind of going into those walls or where there's not much runoff there is a lot of runoff but it's straight onto tarmac and we've seen before riders who crash onto tarmac and the suits get absolutely shredded yeah so i hope bit... it's just low, less abrasive tarmac yeah because yeah there's a lot like the corners do look a bit sketchy to be fair some of the exits i'll send you this one quickly it's terrible is it is it this one uh it's not that video but i just sent you an image like if they crash there oh for sure that turn two turn two yeah yeah turn two that is sketchy as hell (laughs) there is no runoff there (laughs) skip that video to the next corner and let's have a look at turn um the exit of turn three and four okay or the exit of that hairpin before the long back straight Okay. Oh God. Yeah, there's just a wall. It's just straight wall. Yeah. Let's have a look. It's straight wall. Turn three and four. It's just wall. Like there is no runoff there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what speed he's doing in the game. You might be able to get some insight of just we could approximate oh, within 20 kilometers. Yeah. 70 that's. Kilometers. You need. 
probably a little bit more runoff than that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't, so. I don't know the calculations. I don't know how abrasive that tarmac is, and I don't know what the actual racing speed will be like. And of course, mm -hmm. the relevant safety authorities will be going through and calculating that, hopefully. And I, I'm hoping for the riders' sake that it's been homologated a few months in advance, at least. But we've yeah. seen in Formula One in the past few years when they're rushing a new track to be on the calendar. You know, when we look at the uh, first Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, they homologated that the day before the weekend was due to start. And that's, I see where that can happen with a street circuit or something like that. Yeah, in, absolutely. In cars. But if this is a circuit, you know, we know it's been there since, you know, prior to 2011 F1 days. Mm -hmm. And if it's not ready, you know, Dorna should have just communicated better with the relevant bodies within India. Yeah, it's a bit worrying that they're having to do, like, meetings and stuff with riders now to, like, be like, oh, yeah, it is safe, by the way. Just watch this video and it'll prove it. Like, obviously, we'll only know when they're on track on the bikes and stuff, but it doesn't fill me with too much confidence. <laughs> yeah, we. I, I believe what we'll have is the riders on... Wednesday and Thursday media days and yeah whatnot got riding and doing their track walks and as soon as you can feel a bump on a track on a bicycle you know yeah. that when you jump on a motorcycle oh sorry yeah. there's just a motorcycle out my window at the moment nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry about that yeah but as soon as the riders are even just on the surface of the track and you can visually inspect it it's it's completely different and when I've seen you know, some pretty bumpy tracks in my um, racing career. And, you know, you can really tell visually when they're bumpy and they'll know. And if it's going to ca be cancelled, it'll be cancelled before bikes even hit the track. Yeah, I'd hope so. Um, I'll have to see, I guess, because Alay should be the loudest voice, obviously, there. Yeah, and... Uh, safety. Do, do MotoGP riders have a, they, a union? Like the Grand Prix no. Drivers Association? No. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it'll be because all the GP riders are contractually obliged to to race if they're declared fit, you know, and their mm. teams have to put up riders. So it could be what we've seen previously in other motorsport categories, where it can be a standoff between the riders and the FIM of who wants to fold first. Yeah. Yeah, we've had that before, like in the 90s and stuff, and 80s, I remember there was one at the TT, there was one ages ago, and all the riders, I can't remember what it was, it was like, I think it was Spencer, Rainey, stuff like that, they all basically stood on the pit wall and didn't refuse to race, let's have a look, Mer GP, when was it, Mer GP, would have been late 80s, yeah, I'm just working out what to set a post in the YouTube, and then the Google, um, no, I can't. When MotoGP riders strike, that's right. There you go, yeah. Kevin Schwantz, Rainey and Lordson. It was a 1989 Indian Italian GP at Mazzano, of all things, as well. Hmm. And there was a Would you strike. look at that? Yeah. There was a well, strike that was when because... The... Yeah, because the riders were concerned about the track surface considering it too slippy and should it rain even dangerous. Hmm. 
And then the rain started and Schwantz raised his hand to stop the race. Top riders had a meeting, decided they wanted to practice a session before restarting in the wet. The request was refused and the riders decided to boycott the race. I don't know if we'll get a boycott of this race. It depends, obviously, how... We'll only know when they've kind of walked the track and ridden the track how they feel about it. Yeah, because if it's not cancelled by Thursday, which if it will be cancelled, it's very likely that it will happen before the bikes hit the track, but after the first practice, then there'll be more riders joining a refusal to race if, if there is a refusal to race. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right, let's move on to some other silly season talk. I don't know, have you got any? I've got a few, but I just wonder if you've got anything. Um, not on the top of my head. I know Diogo Moreira to Italtrans. That's yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, confirmed. Yeah. Um, Jake Dixon, I keep hearing stuff that he could be going to GP, but... Yeah, Grassini, yeah. I'm not convinced he's earned it yet. If I, I don't want to sound like I could do better, which I definitely couldn't, but I think what Pedro Acosta's doing now, he... If I were KTM, I'd loan him to Grassini. Yeah. But the thing is, Pedro Acosta's contract runs out with KTM at the end of next year. So if they loaned him for Grassini, to Grassini next year, they could risk losing him at the end of the year anyway. Yeah, so you'd contractually have to say, oh, look, you get to ride Ducati, which right now, yeah. just, you know, we're not stating that we're bad as a KTM manufacturer, but look at the previous championships, like in the constructor sector, you know, it's been Ducati. Yeah. Now you go ride this bike for two years, you get really good, you learn everything there is to learn about a good MotoGP bike and you come back to us and if, if by the time we haven't got a great bike, you'll have experience on a good bike to help bring us up and then it's a mutual, yeah. we give you MotoGP experience on a good bike and then you know you win with mm. us or you help bring us up to winning. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a few confirmed riders this weekend as well. There's Nicola Carraro was confirmed at the MTA squad. He replaces the outgoing Ivan Otola, who was then confirmed at the MSI squad, replacing Diego Moreira. Uh, David Munoz was confirmed to stay at Bow. That was after... I'm not sure if I can give this information, but I'm going to give it anyway. Um, two teams tried to buy him out of his contract and were refused, from what I've been told. And the fee, I think, was €350,000 to buy him out of his contract. Wow. Yeah, so I think he's because I'm pretty sure he's had a three-year deal with Bo when he joined Moto Three. I'm not going to name the teams because that's not fair. But yeah, the um, two teams are after him. So I've got some more rumors, some interesting ones. So Io next year, rumored to be Jose Roeda again next to Jabi Zuratuza. Yeah, Zuratuza is a killer of a rider. He's so good. Like I remember he back at the really ETC. It's fantastic, right? He's obviously won two races or maybe three now, Junior GP this year. Superb rider. He also tested for them last week at the test in Catalonia in place of Onshu, who rode for the Motor 2 team. In 6.58, Lunetta was finally confirmed as well. Yeah, I wonder if they'll let him use the 58. Because yeah, I saw they have. There was the, oh, they have? They've confirmed that? Yeah, they've let him use it, yeah. Nice. Oh, that's going to be that's gonna be a kind of a full circle moment, I think. Yeah, because nice the photo actually 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a photo of Lonetto when he's a little kid with Paolo Simoncelli as well. Oh, wow. Quite sweet. So that's quite nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Leopard isn't confirmed, but they should have a new lineup of Angel Pequeras, who's the Rebel Rookies champion this year, alongside Adrian Fernandez, is the rumour at the moment. He's ridden yeah. for them a few races this year, did okay. Yeah, I think Leopard. If we look back at previous years, it's always been a a Moto Two Red Bull KTM IO esque sort of team in terms of stature. Yeah. You know, you yeah, know the they always team. have the f- fastest bikes in terms of top speed. And we talk about you know Foggia riding for them, Joanne Mir in previous years. I think yeah. Fabio Quattararo as well, even in previous years. Danny Kent years. and Air Bastianini, Lorenzo Dalla Porta won a championship yeah. for them. Like top yeah, team, but- Miguel Oliveira rode for the Moto Two. Yeah, it's they 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 know how to churn out good riders, and yeah. I think they've hit a bit of a lull. But it's not the team's fault. I believe just the level in Moto Three is so high at the moment, and Honda are not good at the moment either. Yeah, Honda in a bad place. Yeah, that the KTM bike. Every time I watch practice in um, Moto Three, I I always see new updates that they've brought. I remember even a few years ago where they were the first to bring the wheel covers and then Honda mm. didn't have those until three or four years, or not years, sorry, races later. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because it's locked until next year. So all the three bikes from, I think, 2021 to 2024, start of 24, had to be the same and they can't change. But a few updates have been here and there. KTM were testing uh, brake ducks a little while ago on the front wheel with Efren Vasquez and things like that, but Leopard seemed to... The Honda, like we said, has always struggled, has struggled the last few years, but Leopard have been able to kind of churn out fast bikes. I don't know what it is they have in their straight line speed, but it was ridiculous. Jamie Messia obviously can ride that Honda really well to get it to where it needs to be in positions it probably shouldn't be, because like we said, it's been frozen for a few years, that Honda, so it hasn't actually made any progress. Mm. Um... So it's a tricky one, really. Yeah, the the Honda's always been described to me as a bike where you have to ride, um, and like you have to carry the speed really yeah. a lot through the corners. You have to be smooth. Where the KTM, KTM is, you have to be like stop go. Yeah, you have to be aggressive like, with like it. Yeah, can, exactly. Yeah, you can shoot and like brake hard, and then square off the corner, accelerate hard, and a lot of riders, I think these days and the whole racing style of a moto three race is send it up the inside as late as you can on the brakes you know hold the tight line around the apex and then absolutely gas it so Mm. in terms of racing the ktm and it's just the way it's built is just going to be a better racing bike yeah i think so yeah just the way it handles well i've gotten some interesting information i'll give you in a minute about next year's bike for moto three um, but yeah, it does seem, I mean, most of the teams on the grid are running KTM or are in the Pyra group, obviously with Gax, Gas and Husvana on there as well, because it's the most dominant bike you saw in race war, well, in the race at Mizano, when Masia got an outstanding start, Sasaki had a pretty good start, but by turn one, Sasaki was ahead of Masia just because the bike, the power of the bike, it just absolutely blasted by that Honda, but obviously Honda yeah. and Leopard excel on the top speed. Yeah. Yes, and then some more rumours. MSI, obviously Ortola's confirmed to go to MSI, and it'll likely be Asman, again, that'll be his teammate. Uh, I believe 
that one of the riders has to be like an Asian rider or a you know rider from like the Asian Talent Cup or the Sepang Racing Team kind of things. So that's why we had Yamanaka in there. Now we've got Asman in there. Asman's yeah, a, a good rider. Yeah, I, yeah, I really like him. good rider. I, I think there's no no BS with him. I think I don't think I've ever heard him say anything silly in the media. And I, I reckon he just gets out there and does the job. And he's he's yeah. doing well. He's getting better. And yeah, he is. He did well in the Junior World Championship. So I think maybe. Yeah, yeah we'll see something. We'll see something special. Maybe in Sepang this year, I reckon we'll we'll see something special. Yeah, because he has had a few years in the Grand Prix World Championship already. He was always best for the Honda though. His second best of a result was actually in 2021 as a wild card. This year he's kind of struggled a little bit. He got 11th place in Argentina earlier this year. But I think maybe because he had yeah Sepang Racing Team in 2021 at Aragon and got 13th place. I think he's better suited to a Honda, which is interesting. Well, uh, that's just what he's brought up on. And yeah, he's he is a bit old Honda for Moto3. And so it could be hard to just shift to that new um, style of riding. Yeah, because he rode the Honda in the Asian Talent Cup, Honda in the European Talent Cup, Honda for two years in the Moto3 Junior World Championship, and then when it changed to the CV Moto3 Championship, wait, it's changed names a few times, but yeah, in the four years he was in that category anyway, uh, he was on a Honda, and I thought he finished second last year, he actually finished fourth. Yeah, but in the Junior World Championship, you know, it was so close to the end. It's really... yeah. He was up there and... Yeah, he was up there the whole time, really. Yeah, um, so Honda Man, yeah. Mr. Asman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And CF Moto will cha- stay with Artie Gas. Kelso's lost his seat and will be replaced by Ricardo Rossi, who returns from a Honda to a KTM. And the biggest one... So a few riders got to test the 2024 KTM recently at the Silverstone test including Mr. Daniel Holgado, who will remain in Moto3 next year, even if he wins the title. Wow. Which is the first time we've seen a Moto3 rider go to defend their title, if he wins it, of course. Yeah, well, that would be something special as well. I'd love to see the number one plate on a Moto3 bike. Mm. I think that'd be class. Yeah, I would too. I'd love to see that. So, um, yeah, and... Ah, it was weird because Filippo Faroli was meant to be out of the team and now suddenly he's in again. So I don't really know what's going on with that side of the garage. But those are the Moto3 rumours I've got for you the moment. I don't really have many for Moto2, I'll be honest. Um, yeah, I heard some rumours about Ayagura possibly not remaining with yeah. Honda Team Asia. To MSI. Yeah, yeah he could be going uh, to MSI with Sergio Garcia. I I don't see like I hate to say it but it's it's kind of weird he's he's you know if you looked at him last year he's definitely like the best or the top top 2 or 3 moto 2 riders out there at the moment yeah but the, for some reason it just he doesn't really have any stock outside a honda team because no. I feel like european riders develop chopping and changing teams like nothing else you know, they'll try different manufacturers and all that. But it's honestly like Jonathan Ray leaving Kawasaki for Yamaha. It's that kind yeah, of mad. huge, big jump. Like, you can't imagine Ayagura or Chantra, who basically have grown up as Honda since they were like, children. Yeah. yeah. It's You can't imagine them changing. 
No, it's a really weird one. But um, I believe Mario Aji has to, you know, get a move on. Or fast. I don't know if he tested the Moto2 bike or not. I don't know. I don't think he did. He's quite tall, though, isn't he, Aji? He's huge. He yeah. needs to get on a Moto3 or Moto2 bike. He, yeah, maybe in like the Junior Championship. European. He just gets swamped. That would be, I honestly, that, that's a great, a great spot for him to go. Yeah, the Junior World Championship in Moto yeah. Two for Mario Aji. That's perfect. Yeah, because like he looks insane. I'm just sending a photo now. He is massive on that thing. He's huge. <laughs> that, it, it honestly looks like me when I get on my 400 or something. It's like yeah. I'm riding a mini moto. Yeah, like he is massive. Oh, not tall he is. Let's have a look. Mariachi height. Because he's getting swallowed in Moto 3 World Championship. He's a solid rider. A very good rider, but apparently he's only 171. I don't believe that. Yeah, I've I've heard that too. Uh, he's 67 kilograms, though. Hmm, that's heavy, I, that. For... I've seen other sources that say he's 175 as well. Who knows? I'm I'm hundred and eighty three centimeters and sixty two kilograms. Jesus. In in race trim. Yeah. That's so I mean, he's pretty stocky for a Moto three bike, considering when I stand up next to a Moto three bike the bike doesn't even go higher than my hips. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Moto three bikes are tiny. Yeah, they are minuscule. Like Moto G P bikes actually are smaller than I thought they were. Like, the first yeah. time I ever stood next to a MotoGP bike, I was like, it's so small. <laughs> well, they've got shorter wheelbases than most yeah, super they do. bikes. Yeah, they do. I think it's I can't, it's 18 mil, no, 18 inch rims they were on. Uh, I think they were on 17, oh no, 16.5 a few years ago, and I think some mm. of them have shifted to 17s now. Yeah, I think it's still, yeah, 2060, 17. On the front and rear, so they're up to 17 mil. It used to be 16 and a half. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And now it's up to 17s for the pair of them. So, still pretty small, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's got... standard, like, road bike and race bike size. Yeah, that's sport true. bikes. Good point. Which, um, which is good, because it means that they can apply that t technology more directly to street bikes. Yeah. The more similarities that they have between the you know, the superbike and MotoGP and then street bikes, you know, the better for everyone involved. Yeah, absolutely, because it reduces that disparity and things like that as well across the board and helps people, helps Honda and all that sell bikes because they go, oh, I can ride a MotoGP bike on the street. That's why the V4R has sold so many because it is literally a MotoGP bike for the street. It's obscene. Yeah, oh, Ducati are just packing crazy stuff into that. Yeah, it's unreal. Like the technology and stuff that goes into that bike is ridiculous. But I've got some more rumors for you. Moto two, thinking about it. There is the one that Ayumi Sasaki will be promoted to the Intact GP for Moto two within his own team for Moto two next year, which would be a good move for him. The one I did hear the other day that was mental to me is that Grassini Moto two will run. Fabio Di Giantonio and Manuel Gonzalez next year. Oof, that would be. Uh, I don't. I feel like Digio deserves better than that. He deserves a superbike seat, I think. Yeah, he. 
Aprilia need a superbike campaign. They do. And Digio would be great there. Yeah, because they stopped doing it to focus on GP, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? It worked out, you know, putting all their eggs in one place. But they've lost Ianoni now, and it'll be interesting to see how he goes in superbikes next year. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Yeah, but um, who will be the one leaving Intact GP Moto2 then? I think, I believe, from what I told, both of them are out, Tulovic and Binder. That's, I always thought Tulovic was you know, very close friends with the owner of Intact, hmm. the, the company. I don't know, to be honest. Maybe, but I know Tulovic is, is German, which helps him, and he's kind yeah. of got... He won them the European Championship as well. He's only had one year now in Moto2. I think he deserves a second year for sure. It's yeah, a weird Darren, one. Darren Binder hasn't really shown anything special. No, he's been injured most of the year and stuff like that. I think yeah. out of the two of them, I think Tolovic should get another year. Darren Binder can go elsewhere, I guess. But Darren Binder in Super Sport 600 would be pretty cool. Just out of That'd team like... Nice. Evan Bros or maybe even GMT ninety four or something like that. Yeah, or the um Oh my god, what's the name of it? The Ten Carter Squad maybe. Yeah. Even imagine Darren Binder to Ducati World Supersport in Aruba IT. Yeah, that'd be crazy. That'd be so good to be fair. I'd be up for that. Yeah. But yeah, um Senna Aegis, he deserves a Moto2 seat for next he's year. He's so good. He's really good Senna Aegis. Have yeah, you, he, do you know him personally? Or? Yeah, I've, I've I've met him a few times out yeah. in uh, Sydney Motorsport Park here. And he is, um, yeah, he's a killer of a rider and he's got the backing to go all the way. So I mm. think if we don't see him in a full-time seat next year, it'll definitely be 25. But honestly, my bets are on him having a full seat for next year. Well, he's absolutely walking away with it in Junior GP this year. He's yeah. so far ahead of everyone else at this moment. Like, let's have a look. 2022 fame Junior GP. I need 23 page. So, that's Moto3. Right, come on. There we go. Right. So, they've had five races. They've had ten... Well, five rounds, ten races. Senate Aegis has won one, two, three, four, five races. So, he's won half the races... He leads only by 20 points because he missed Catalonia completely through injury. Yeah, so that's crazy. The fact crazy. that he could miss, he could throw away 50 whole points because he was injured and still be leading by 20 points. Yeah, is... nah, he's, he's a legend. Yeah, because he got what, first, 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 third, first, first, then missed two races. So realistically, he could come back and win some more races, I think. Yeah, especially after some more experience in the Grand Prix paddock. Yeah, there's one rider I'm interested about if I'll ever see him ride, which is Carlos Tatai. Yeah, he's won I was a just about him. race. Yeah, he's he's won a Moto Two race this year. But did you see the video he posted on Instagram the other day? Yeah, he's he's swimming. Yeah, but like, did you see it before and after when he was kind of having to like get back into his wheelchair and it genuinely didn't look like he had the use of his legs. It's all. He's got that scar down the top of his back. Seen that. I didn't see the before yeah. and after. So if you, because you see him jump into the water, now he's that he's swimming, yeah. and then yeah, him have to 
get into his wheelchair. He's not using his legs at all. I'll send it to you on Instagram if you haven't seen it. Yeah, no, I've seen I'm watching it now. Yeah. Yeah, man, he was just cel there celebrating getting back into his wheelchair on his own. Yeah, like... Hmm. Like, I'm a bit worried about that, to be honest. I do hope that he can come back one day and because he's a fast rider, but... That scares man, me a little horrible. bit. <laughs> yeah, it's not nice yeah. to see whatsoever. Yeah, I, I hope he makes a full recovery, but, you know, you cannot get your hopes up, I guess. No, but, yeah, those are really all the rumours I've got, to be honest, at the moment. Things might change, yeah. especially in the uh, next few weeks. A little, maybe a little bold prediction, not a bold prediction, maybe just a, a completely stupid prediction. Um, if Mark Marquez is to leave HRC... I reckon Jack Miller would be a great fit. I've heard in, this rumor. In Repsol. I've heard this is a rumor, yeah. I've heard this that because it'd be great because there's a whole thing about Jack Miller getting double salary, ten wild cards next year or something. Yeah, I've I've heard this, but the KTM rubbished it straight away. You'd you'd be throwing your whole career away because it's hard to have stock as a rider without competing for an entire year you know so they can't track your results because let's just say you you know you take your 10 wild cards but you'll never really be able to get a season going with momentum which means your results will be hindered yeah of course you'll be able to probably be able to handpick which tracks you'd want to race at but mm. then they could use that as an excuse if you have success i think either way it doesn't really speak to other teams that you know you're very good. Yeah, because it, it kind of, once you're out, it's hard to get back in. Like, Dovizioso yeah. managed to get back in, but Dovizioso has a very I mean, solid racing Dovi, career. You know? and yeah, that's Dovi. It's not, it's a bit different when you name, like, no disrespect to Jack Miller, when you're not Jack Miller. Jack Miller's won, what, three, four MotoGP races? Dovi's yeah, won a countless, and the second three times in a row. Yeah, I... It's just a little bit of a different level. Uh, but I think Jack's a, a great rider on his day. And yeah. once he figures out how to manage that rear tyre, he'll be faster than anyone. But mm. he always seems to start really well and then always drop back. He just sinks slowly. And every race is like... I don't remember, I think, this year, the last time I saw Jack Miller actually make an overtake. I mean, I... Yeah. This whole year's just been seeing getting... him getting passed and passed and passed yeah. every race. Yeah, so it's just like drops right out of the order of contention. Then, like, he even crashed out um, this weekend, gone as well, like Mizano. Yeah, yeah well, have you, is there an updated video on what happened between Piro and him? No, I think Ducati mentioned it in the press release. Hold on, I'll just have a look at my emails because they did mention it, but I can't remember whose fault it was. Let's have a look. Yeah, I think the initial the initial predictions were that not predictions or the initial interpretation was that Michaeli Piro um, t-boned Jack, mm. and it was Piro's incident. But I, here we go. There was no replay, so no. So it says the Ducati press release says the rider from San Giovanni Rotondo. I've just butchered that, was showing that he could fight for some points in today's GP, but contact with Jack Miller soon put an end to his race. In a collision with the Australian rider, 
in the collision with the Australian rider. Piero suffered a contusion to his right ankle, forcing him to miss tomorrow's test. But he will return at India to replace Anir Bastianini. Yeah. Well, poor, poor Bastianini. Yeah. <laughs> He's had a shocker, hasn't he? I mean, poor... Well, I mean, Pecco is just incredible. How's the he done that? The fact that he was done that, yeah. I wanted to talk about that. The fact that he was still third... Is insane. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. And honestly, I thought when I first saw that accident, I thought career over. Honestly, I mean, you think about how Franco Morbidelli's knee twist in the French Grand Prix of twenty one or something mm. was, yeah. you know, that that we talk about that as the last time we saw good form from Morbidelli, but. Mm. Think about, okay, that's just tipping a bike over and landing wrong on your knee. Think about an entire MotoGP bike <laughs> with the massive heavy balls of Brad Binder riding over <laughs> you. Yeah. Like, that is... And yeah, and the fact that he was then walking and then... He was obviously struggling because he was struggling to get on and off the bike, but the fact that he was able to finish on the podium in yeah, both they don't, races... The commentators, yeah, the commentators don't tell us what type of painkillers they use anymore. I remember watching yeah. older GP races. They would explain, oh, the riders, this rider's on um, just standard painkillers. Oh, this rider's on injection painkillers. And you already, I, I love to hear that. Not not to hear that they were on painkillers, but I'd love to know <laughs> which ones they were on because then you know how hard they're having to bite concrete. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, because it depends because some of them, like, they can knock you out, make you a bit tired and all that as well, can't they? And but yeah, it just depends. Pretty gnarly when you get to the yeah. point where you're having to inject painkillers directly to you know the area that hurts. Yeah, that's so the situation with the like bike. fully broken bones. Like yeah, um, Jorge Mart not not Jorge Martin, sorry, Jorge Lorenzo in um, Assen. Yes. Oh my god, with this collarbone, that was horrific. Like, yeah, that was awful. The fact that he did that was just. But then Lorenzo was well when he broke both his ankles and then was on the podium a few weeks later. Yeah. Two broken ankles. <laughs> You're like, what I mean, the hell? We talk about these guys being aliens and we always thought, you know, when we looked at Rossi in his last few years in GP, you know, he you know, became, let's say, a, a bottom of the points kind of rider. Yeah. In no disrespect to him, he's, you know, the one of the greatest of all time but look at Pedrosa where Pedrosa is now and every time I look at that KTM bike like particularly Pedrosa's bike it's just beautiful the innovation on that thing is just incredible yeah. unbelievable bike isn't it and KTM finally decided to get off their high horse and make a carbon fiber chassis yeah I saw that on Friday that was massive because they have been going on about this steel frame for years. Obviously, it's worked in the MX project and things like that. And I mean, to be honest, it's worked in most of GP for a few years. But that step that we saw Danny Pedroza... Danny Pedroza hasn't raced full-time in GP since 2018. And it's fourth place. Yeah. And in Mazzano, which is a hugely physical track. Yeah. That is, I got a controversial take on it though. What do you reckon? So Danny Pedrosa is obviously one of the greatest to ever do it. 
Um, he's probably the greatest rider outside of the GOAT debate, I would say, or at least one of them. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Or just, let's say, the second-tier GOAT. Yeah, second-tier GOAT, Compared yeah. To so lots of we've got, got S-tier and, and we've got A-tier. Yeah, exactly, yeah, Lorenzo and things like that. Danny is there. He's obviously uh, an alien. He's a unbelievable talent. The fact that he can come in on a good bike and finish fourth tells me that the level of talent that we're seeing on the top riders of MotoGP is not as good as what we used to see maybe a decade or so ago. Yeah, because Rossi always said that he he's not getting any slower, that no. the other guys are just getting faster. Yeah. But when you see Pedrosa come in like that and just basically just wipe the floor with every other KTM rider, <laughs> yeah. it's just... I mean, either that carbon fiber chassis is just that much better or, you know, that he's just an alien. And I, I honestly think it's a combination of the both. When you when you look at that carbon chassis, though, it's it's obviously saves a lot of weight because, yeah. you know, so why would you have, you know, steel is just super dense, you know. All, all the yeah. other guys are using aluminium, which makes more sense. But maybe, okay, it's not as rigid as you want it. But um, when you look at carbon fiber, it's, you know, it, it has a little bit of flex in it, but it's still a very rigid um, type of chassis to the point where it's almost emulating a steel chassis, but it's a third of the weight. So KTM seemed to have got it good, and for someone of Pedrosa's stature, it seems to work, but who knows when a heavier rider like Jack Miller trials it, how his weight mm. affects, is the, affects the flex of the chassis. There's a lot of unknowns right now, and I don't think we'll see it on the regular factory bikes for maybe another two or three races, especially after the unknowns of India and whatnot. They're not going to bring any new parts there. But you know that Pedrosa is a great test rider because when we saw him last in Jerez, he was trialing the new rear wing for KTM, which is the square rectangular shape one, and the other two guys with Binder and um, Miller were still using the inverse trapezoid rear wing. And the next race, immediately after Jerez, both Miller and Binder had that on both bikes and both sets of fairings homologated yeah. like instantly before the racing even started. You know, that that means that both the factory boys and KTM itself have so much faith in Pedrosa and his feedback. Yeah, and it's I think KTM, it's been proven with KTM kind of stepping up a level each time, each time, each time, every year, thanks to Danny Pedroza. And the fact that, because KTM have been doing this, like, because they've had that trellis frame and their alliance to that trellis frame for years. Like, to the point where it was like, a point where they were like, we will never go from this to a carbon frame, ever. Yeah, and then, that. and then they've done it before Honda, and then they've done it before Yamaha. And... Yeah, and like yeah. Ducati have had it. Ducati went from a steel trellis frame years ago to a carbon frame, and thanks to GT Delenia, they were able to turn it into what it is now, which is obviously a Motor Champion, MotoGP Championship winning frame and bike. KTM now making that step over as well has probably been, thanks to Danny Petrusa, <laughs> telling them, you need to have a carbon frame, you need to have a carbon frame, you need to have a carbon frame. So eventually they go, fine, we'll give it a go. And the fact that Danny Petrusa has that much, obviously I'm assuming that Danny Petrusa has 
said that they need a carbon frame. But if that's the case, and Danny Pedroza has that much leverage within K KTM, then that just shows how highly regarded they, they hold him. Yeah, and I, it's good to see because sometimes teams don't, you know, take care of their test riders. Honda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're very valuable people, and even Aprilia treats Savadori right, and we know he's not really you know, well, the yeah. fastest rider, but he he puts in the miles, and you know, when we look at test riders that have failed in the past few years, Jorge Lorenzo at Yamaha, let's just say, you know, mm. they just they think it's all, you know, flashy, just testing new parts, but in reality, it's just laps and laps and laps and laps. Just getting data for the engineers, trying every little different thing, and you know, giving your feedback. Imagine you're trying to ride a MotoGP bike at 100%, pushing that, but then you also want to be collecting everything that the bike is, you know, giving you in terms of feedback. It's a lot to think about, and especially, you know, maybe you're a bit older like Pedro, so you it could become difficult. But honestly, he's seems sharp enough and that bike is getting better and better so obviously he's good at it and maybe he's found a second calling yeah like the losing Danny Pedroza Honda losing Danny Pedroza was their biggest failure in the last few years because Danny Pedroza his development for that bike on the Honda always had it running at the front for years from 2006 to 2018 only when they started depending more on Mark Marquez's input and Mark Marquez what Mark Marquez wants did we see Honda obviously fall into the trap they're in now if Honda had respected KTM no if Honda respected Pedroza a bit more if Honda had had more faith in Danny Pedroza if Honda had actually decided to keep Danny Pedroza as a test rider I think we'd be talking about Honda now and not KTM being Absolutely outstanding. Thanks, Danny Pedroza. Yep. And, you know, that's just the way it goes when you look at engineers, when you have riders who are, you know, able to give that kind of feedback, they're just as valuable as a good result in terms of podiums and points. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not just... Because a lot of the issues with Honda and Yamaha, it seems that they kind of don't like to listen to riders feedback if that makes sense they go from like more of the data and things like that and they're also very rigid and strict of what they do from what i've been told anyway which is kind of a again not generalization but just from what i've told kind of what is specific to more of a japanese bike we're seeing honda no kawasaki and yamaha struggle a bit in world Superbikes bikes as well for similar reasons yeah and yet the European bikes like Ducatia and Aprilia and KTM are just full steam in ahead with new parts and new bits here, there and everywhere. And of course, them being in Japan makes it more difficult because, you know, you've got to make the parts in Japan. You've got to ship them over. You've got to ship them back. OK, these don't work. OK, send them all the way back to Japan. Whereas KTM and Ducati can go, oh, we're like 20 minutes from Mazzano, so we can just go and test this thing on an actual Grand Prix track. Oh, it does work. Great. We'll have it on the bike for the next race. Whereas, obviously, that's a lot more difficult for Japan, these Japanese manufacturers. Yeah. And I think the Japanese mentality is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And mm. then by the time they realized it's broken or not working, it's, you know, mm. you're years behind in development. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And Ducati, Ducati and Aprilia and now the European manufacturers, when you look at them, they're not like iterating on previous concepts. They're like reinventing and really just trying everything. Because you can't just build on like a building block if it's you know made out of feathers or something that's going to crumble which is what Honda have tried to do since 2020 when they know the bike wasn't working Marquez yeah. couldn't ride it so they're improving it they're trying to make that bike better to turn they're trying to make that bike oh it needs more rear grip more rear grip more rear grip oh shit now the front I can't handle the front yeah that's it and it's just you need to have an element of innovation that changes the game completely you know you want the concept of a brand new bike. If I were Honda, the head of the design team, I would not take a single part from that current bike other than maybe the new aero and the engine, but new chassis, new forks, new swing arm. And I don't like the fact that they've outsourced the frame to Calyx or Suda, yeah. was it? Yeah, Calyx. Calyx, yeah. I, I don't like that. I think that's not in the spirit of Honda MotoGP. And I feel like if that Calyx frame was magically the thing that changed it and they started winning, it would mm. it'd feel pretty sour to me. Like, oh, well, it doesn't really feel like a Honda victory. Yeah, it's not, is it? It's a... It's Calyx a, engineering Calyx victory. victory. <laughs> yeah. It's sad that they're having to kind of go by that way. I mean, they're doing testing today. Mark Marquez has tested new things on the bike and said the normal rear grip issues remain. Johan Mir... It's also said that it's clear that the parts are theoretically clear that all the parts that were negative on the bike are still there. Maybe there are some improvements, but they're still there. And then goes on to say that the problems remain the same. Yeah, it's probably because they've just tried to improve on the existing concepts and not trial completely new ones. And yeah. obviously, I'm talking like, you know, I don't know how hard it is to come up with a new concept especially mid-season you know you need months and months of research and development to be able to just come up with a new thing like a new chassis or stuff like that mm. yeah and it's i think mark marquez and his future with honda will be kind of pivotal on this if this works and they're able to actually find something that does work Marquez will stay. He's even said today in the last 10 minutes that he has three options for next season. A plan A, plan B, plan C with only one or two people in his close circle aware of his options. I can imagine plan A is stay at Honda. Plan B is Grassini. Plan C, I'm only assuming assignment, but I have no idea. Hmm. What could plan C be? Hmm. Retirement, probably. Maybe that's the only thing I can think of, but yeah, that is pivotal. And if Honda lose Mark Marquez, they have nothing at the moment. I think. Yeah, the new honest. Honda, the new Honda, even that they're testing right now, the mm. um the Aero is very Ducati, twenty nineteen twenty twenty esque, and mm. the they've still got the the dinosaur tails that yeah. Ducati came up with that everyone seems to be using now. What I've noticed is they're not using a ground effect um, oil pan like the Aprilia's. Yeah. Which 
if I were, you know, Honda and I'm working on next year's bike and Aprilia have already had it since the beginning of this year and the end of last year, I would mm. definitely be replicating my own version of that pretty soon. And yeah. honestly, when I look at that, it just looks like that wheelbase is just way too short on the rear end of with just, I feel like it's got too much weight on its front end if I'm being honest, mm. you know, but that's because, you know, Marquez couldn't stop tucking the front. So the, the mechanics and the engineers have gone, oh, okay, you know, it's the logical thing. If you have so much front tucking, you shift more weight to the front, so then that'll solve your issue. But then yeah. in turn, that takes weight off the rear, which means you have no rear grip. Yeah, so it's just finding the happy medium between those two. And if if there's no happy medium at the moment, then... Yeah, you gotta gotta need a new chassis. Yeah, that's it. And oh, it's very interesting and very interesting with Honda. Um, I guess we'll see. That's that's where we. I think we can leave it with Honda. <laughs> we will see. <laughs> yeah, we will see, and we will, we will see. see pretty soon. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, on to some, we'll go over the races quick, um, and then we'll kind of tie it off because it's been an hour and 10 minutes already, but with Francesco Mainai injured, not running at hundred percent, it was Jorge Martin who was able to capitalize on this, taking the full 37 points this weekend and take a lump out of Mainai's lead. I think it's now 36 points that separate them now in the championship standings with Bezzecchi in third. I think it's going to look real spicy now. 37 points is what you can get in a race weekend. And the gap is, what, 283, minus 247. Is 36 points. So if yep, Bagnaia so has a terrible time. If Bagnaia gets injured or something again, then Jorge Martin could be, could be on. Yeah, he really could be. But it's it's clear the championship will go to one of those three: Bezeki, Martin, or Bagnaya. Yeah. And more likely to be Bagnaya or Martin than Bezeki, I believe, at this point, with yeah. Bezeki around sixty points behind Bagnaya. Flippin' heck! Yeah, I think it would be it would be one of those three. Who though? I genuinely have no idea at this moment in time. But Bezeki's really like come on form this year though. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah, he is he's kind of doing what we expected him to do in Moto Two. Because in Moto Two he was I thought he'd go out and kind of win everything and he didn't. It was in Moto Three, for example, he was outstanding. In Moto Two he kind of was there but not really there. And now in Moto G P he's I can think he's found his home. Oh, yeah, for sure. Really, really well now, especially in that VR46 squad. And, you know, he stays for next year alongside Luca Marini, who was confirmed over the weekend as well. I think Bozzetti will get a 24 bike next year as well. Yeah, nice. And then maybe gone for a Bassinini seat in 2025. Yeah, I, I believe that, you know, if Honda or Yamaha don't buy Bagnaia off Ducati, mm. then. Yeah, if they did, it'd be Martin and Bezeki in, in the factory seats, no doubt. Bezeki yeah. is just a ripper of a rider, and Jorge Martinez stopped binning it when he's in Thank the lead. God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he settles for the fifth and the sixth now. You know, 
Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, okay, Austria wasn't really the best showing of his no. nice new form, but <laughs> Redemption Day in Mazzano, I mean, even though if he didn't really get a proper penalty for Catalonia, but mm. we move on. That's two races ago now, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. He's, he's really come on now this year, and, you know, he's had a couple of podiums. He's had two victories now. He had that horrendous injury, obviously, in Portimao a few years ago, and he's still struggling with that now. He's got some problems with his nerve endings and things like that, you know, and it kind of almost ended his career, not only his life and maybe even his career. And the fact that he's now where he is... It kind of, for me, him and not going to the Factory Ducati squad has actually been the best thing for him instead of going to the Factory team. Oh, for sure. I mean, Pramac just seems to be the the best spot to be if you're a rider that sometimes is a bit temperamental. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you don't have the pressure of fighting for a championship and expectation of winning that championship. Yeah, so you I can think... just kind of go out and do what you want. You and we're seeing it so much more these days where like an expectation within a team has actually caused a rider to do a lot worse than they probably would have if they didn't have the expectation. Like yeah. if we look at Albert Arenas in IO Moto in IO. 2. Yeah. You know, that, that team, you have great expectations in that team, but he just did not deliver. And then maybe, okay, Catalonia, he was there, but I reckon it's it was quite he was like quite lucky to get that podium. Was it when it was on the Aspar squad last year on the Gas Gas when there was no expectation it was up there especially when he was um when in most three when he won the championship he was an outside shot from the get go and yet yeah it's just and he won the whole thing and then everyone pinned him to be you know fighting Acosta for the win this year. Yeah, they did, yeah. And included. Yeah, and I look, you know, you look at Diego Moreira. Diego Moreira in the beginning of this year was, you know, every MotoGP rider was really just saying, oh, he's going to be the one to do it. Mm. But where is he now, you know? It's just, I think the pressure, even outside of the team, external pressure from just fellow riders, think like saying, oh, he's going to be the best. And then, you have one bad race where you can't perform and then it just knocks your whole confidence. Yeah, and he's struggled to kind of pick that up, Moreira. Yeah. I think. And yeah, he's really struggled with that. I think one rider, whilst you say that, that is regaining his confidence after a tough year is Ralph Hernandez, who, as we expected him to do, and many expected him, he came into Moto 2 and was just like the most sensational rookie since Mark Marquez in that class. He was... Well, second overall, 307 points, 8 wins, 12 podiums in 18 races as a rookie. Yeah, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. And the fact that he didn't mi- he missed out on the championship that year was his kind of his own fault because he stacked it at Mazzano out of the lead. And but, Saxon ring. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but the fact that he could do that as a rookie... Of course, you obviously have that expectation of him coming in to MotoGP and kind of repeating that success. But obviously, that didn't happen. And actually, his tally, just on a fun one for you, 
His tally of 307 would have won in the championship in 2019, 2018. He'd have missed it by one point in 2017. He'd have won it in 2016, in 2013 as well. And he'd have won it last year as well. So it just shows how well he did. And so, and you look at the total to... race times of Remy and Raul in Moto2, they're still yeah. faster than today's total yeah, race times. Yeah, they were. They were, like, every session they were 1-2 pretty much. And they were not just a little 1-2. They were miles ahead 1-2. They had so many 1-2s that year. And so, of course, you expect him to come into MotoGP and do set the world alight. And he sadly didn't in his rookie year. He has now beaten last year's points tally. He's now on 22 points last year. He finished on 14. He also secured his first ever top 10 at Silverstone this year was running and could have got another top 10 in Catalonia, I would think, as well, before a technical issue. But then he got an eighth place yesterday, battling with Mark Marquez, Miguel Oliveira, Luca Marini. Like, who did he... Because I know he was battling with them, and he did beat... Let's have a look who he actually beat out of them a lot. No, I don't want to see the test. I want to see the actual race. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, he finished eighth. He beat Luca Marini, who was on the podium recently. That, to me, yeah. shows a massive step forwards. Yeah, even a big step forward. He was 11th in the sprint, and he beat yeah. out Miguel Oliveira and Fabio Quattararo and Zarco in that little group there. And yeah. then in the main race, you know, beating out the likes of Mark Marquez, or almost beating out the likes of Mark Marquez, yeah. battling yeah, yeah. half a second behind. That's not, that's yeah. not all that bad. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But beating Zarco, Marini, Alex Marquez, and Alicia Spigro on the factory Aprilia, who just yeah. won the previous race. That's insane. Yeah. That's it. And he got into Q2 for the first time as well. And, you know, we talk about why riders like Diego Moreira losing the confidence. I reckon last year destroyed Raul's confidence. He probably came into that season so hyped up, like, yeah, I'm going to absolutely kill it this year. And then to see it fall apart around him, he's obviously had to take some time to re build this year but I think he's regaining that confidence and I think a confident Ralph Fernandez is going to be a threat coming into the next few rounds. Do you think that we could see him on the podium? If he continues on this upward trend so we went 15th, 12th, 10th, 8th if we see this kind of steady steady yeah, if, if he gets a, if India goes ahead and he gets a top 6 there yeah, we cannot I, rule it out. But it, yeah, the next the two year, races, yeah. Japan and India, will be the decider if it's if he's going to stay here if, or if he's going to keep yeah. going. Interestingly, and, though, Brad Binder and his little tip-off. Yeah, that was weird. Still finished ahead of Morbidelli and Augusto <laughs> yeah. Fernandez, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is um, yeah. I would hate to be Fra Franco Morbidelli or Fernandez, honestly, if that was me because that's a little bit embarrassing to be honest yeah it's not ideal is it no and Mir again failed to finish like I think he's finished one race this season let's just go through do you have Mir yeah oh no he finished two he finished Catalonia but yeah he got points in the first race and did not start retirement 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 did not start didn't start didn't start retirement retirement 17th retirement retirement that's yeah. horrific yeah, and the fact that I liked a little there's a little tidbit as well. Danny Pedrosa in the standings is one point ahead of Mark Marquez now as well. 
<laughs> oh, poor He's Mark. done two races. <laughs> He's done two races. Yeah, unreal. Well, he's also ahead of Bastianini. Yeah, which is... Uh, <laughs> and Raul ouch. Fernandez. Yeah. The only person Olga. to not score points this season is Lekawona. Yeah, which is a weird one. Yeah. I guess because he's only been a standing rider, I guess. And that oh, was how I would well. love to see Remy Gardner and Domi Eger to test the Yamaha MotoGP bike. Oh, God, yes. I would love that. I think they'd yeah. really like it, you know. Yeah, because seeing Lekawona come over from World Superbike and do a few races, and it's rumoured that he'll be... Uh, is he confirmed to be at LCR on Castrol? No. Corona. No, that's Sorry, Zarko. Zarko is... Yeah. yeah. I heard a rumour that Lekawona could be coming over full-time. Yeah, well, I, I think maybe that's a be... plan B if Marquez quits, maybe. Yeah. Could do. Or if, Mar- if Marquez quits, Zarko goes to Repsol and then Lekawona and LCR, maybe? That would be a better fit. Yeah, yeah, I think Lekawona's not ready for Repsol. No, I don't think so either. But um, what am I thinking? Yeah, it was interesting because Takahashi, who was a replacement for Lekawona, who won the Suzuki Hours recently with Javi Vierge, failed to qualify and got a DNQ. And that's the first time in a decade we've seen a DNQ. The last time was at Kota in 2012. I can't remember the name of the rider, but it was on a CRT. And that's... Yeah, that's... Yeah, ouch. <laughs> that's sad, eh? But it just shows the, thing the is, Honda, really. That and also, you know, endurance and MotoGP are a different ball game. I, I think yeah. if he were to test and race the World Superbike bikes, mm. he'd be much closer. But imagine coming off a... Basically, what is a production chassis... And then getting on to the Honda. Imagine how <laughs> user unfriendly that would be. And that would be I think awful. Like Corona is only you know, he, he hasn't scored points, but he hasn't it's not been horrible. He qualified at least. Yeah. But that's because he's been used to riding the shitbox tech three KTM. Hmm. That's it. Um yeah, the most recent DNQ was Michael Barnes at Kota twenty thirteen on a CRT. BCL, whatever that is. And he was, at the time, 44 years old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what the hell? Privateer. But, yeah, so that's the most recent DNQ from MotoGP race. He's Interesting. Tired, actually. But yeah. So 10 years it's taken. Yeah, he did the bagger yeah. last year, actually. Uh, Michael Barnes, that's cool. Oh, yeah, speaking cool. of the baggers, we were chatting about the baggers. There's a crash in Tyler O'Hara the other day, wasn't there? That was ma- mega. Oh, the, the save or the crash. The oh, crash yeah, when he, he the chain whipped out. Oh, that was that's horrible. That's yeah. I I've, I've been there and that is not not a fun thing because <laughs> on my bike we like try and save as much weight in terms of inertia as pro- possible. There's no restriction yeah. on what chain we can use. So we use a 415 chain on like a 70 horsepower Ninja 400. Jesus. So it's like it's like a little bit less power than a Moto3 bike or just probably about the same. And then mm. it weighs a, a little bit more than a Moto3 bike, but that much power and that much torque through a chain that's like quite small, it they stretch really easily and about 
you know, every 150 kilometers, we're changing a chain. Jesus. <laughs> so we, we go through them pretty quickly. But yeah, if you don't, um, yeah, I've had a pretty bad accident where going into turn three in Buriram, I was tucked in and then immediately popped up and downshifted from sixth gear to fifth gear. The chain mm. snapped instantly and wrapped around the rear wheel and locked it within the oh. swing arm. And yeah. then I was already, because on a 400, when you're braking for that corner, you're already turning in. So mm. basically, I, my rear wheel stepped out and flicked me straight over, and I was oh. kn knocked unconscious instantly, and I didn't even feel... Well, and we still don't even know how I broke my foot, but I just woke up like 200 meters down the road, face down in the gravel. <laughs> and then I was like, I was getting up. I was like, what just happened? Yeah. Surprisingly, uh, and this is how I know that maybe if I was born in the 70s or something, I would have been a good two-stroke 500 rider. You can see in the clip of this crash, me actually grab the clutch as, as I feel the rear wheel lock like instantly before the bike even steps out. But of course, that's not going to do anything. But if it was an engine seize like it was on the 500s, yeah. I like instinctively grabbed it, and I think I was pretty proud of myself to, yeah. <laughs> for that one. It's really and good, it, like initiative, isn't it? You got to take a positive out of it because yeah, you know, having a crash that's out of your control that that really knocks your confidence. Mm. And that one, I had like I had that, and then two weeks later, my best friend in racing got put in a coma at a race, but I missed it because I was still partially injured. But mm. And also, when I got injured, I wanted to have a go and see what the, the Grand Prix boys were like, so I rode the weekend after breaking my foot. <laughs> and I was like two That's seconds insane. off off my pace because I broke Ouch. my right foot. I could not yeah. turn right at all. Because oh when I God. ride, I put like all my force through the foot pegs. Mm. And on the right-hand side, I just could not. But... Honestly, it was pretty fun to give it a go, but it's just stuff like that that knocks your confidence. And then I had, you know, a mate get really injured, and that knocked my confidence. Yeah. So the start of racing last year was very, very difficult. Yeah, and that's why yeah, I, I sympathise with all the riders when they have expectations, because mm. when you look at riders, there's no one who puts more pressure on any rider than them themselves. Yeah, like as a rider, my parents always say, you know, just go do your best. You know, if you do your best, we'll be happy no matter what. My team says, you know, you've got the pace. Just go do what you can do. We're proud of you, whatever. Mm. But I'm, I you know, say to myself, you know, I want to win. I want to beat this guy. And if I don't, I'll be pissed. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at a national level. I shouldn't be getting as mad as I do get sometimes. But mm. I don't know. I'm passionate. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. If you have that passion, then that's what you want out of a rider, I think. At the end of the day, you need that passion to get the results. If you don't care, then you're not going to really put your effort in, are you? Yeah, exactly. No. But um, going through Moto2, Moto3 quickly, um, it was nice to see Pedro Costa back in business this weekend, back on the top step of the podium. Um, yeah, it's obviously just quite funny <laughs> that he won <laughs> the Jake Dixon comments. Comments. <laughs> yeah oops eat easy um, yep. yeah he got bitten by the next Mark Marquez he did where's Jake Dixon oh god where was he? 12 
Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. That comment has come to bite him a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, he got not only beaten by the next Mark Marquez, but he also got beaten by, you know, the current Somkiat Chantra and Ayagura and stuff like that. Yeah, he got beaten by Mattia Pessini, who's a blooming wild card. Yeah. It's and Sergio Garcia is a rookie. Yeah, Sergio Garcia is a rookie. Philip Salach, who's had you know quite a downswing in form lately. Yeah. Ana Gonzalez, he's. I want to say I don't know how to describe his form, but I feel like the term "solid fifth place rider" really yeah. is. Well, just... his best result is fifth, and he's hit fifth about seven times now. <laughs> yeah, he's like the Aaron Canet of fifth yeah. place. Honestly, yeah, he's spot on. Yeah, speaking of Aaron Kinnett, that's a, a shame for him to bin it while uh, yeah, pursuing another second place. That was a big shame for Aaron Kinnett. That's the story of his season, though, and maybe his career, because I do wonder if he'll ever make it to MotoGP, but at the moment, he just likes to crash a bit much, and teams don't like crashy riders, I guess. Yeah, uh, the only place I could see him going is if something like... Envy Augusta or something made a yeah either a well, world championship in MotoGP or a world superbike campaign. Well, it's probably a story for another time because my god, it'll take forever. But Envy Augusta are rumored to come back in 2025. So I've heard. Yeah, <laughs> with Mark Marquez and Giacomo Agostini has offered to coach Mark Marquez. Yes, if he is to join Envy Augusta. I've seen that. Yeah, which is madness. Yeah, that'd be a yeah. dynamic duo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would. I'm not sure how Agassini would fare with like ride high devices and all that, but no, I honestly <laughs> think it's a completely different sport now. It is, yeah, like but it's the nice. Fact that Pedrosa but... has still managed to stay, like he's riding these bikes with all this aero and all these ride height devices, like in the start, like the launch control devices where it locks the front forks in, the whole shot mm. devices. It's just crazy, and you know now, even when you look at Pedrosa when he was riding previously, there was no no leg dangle or anything like that. But now he's mm-hmm. left hand rear rear braking and front like right hand um, front brake. It's just a lot of things to think about that he didn't have to ten years ago. Yeah, it's it's bananas how much the sport has changed. Never mind from the seventies, <laughs> but about ten years. Ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and Blumen. Uh, Vietti's save in the race was like it was fully gone the bike when he picked that up I have no idea oh, yeah. he did that that's incredible I think the power of Mizano as mm. his home race just home crowd yeah. pick that bike back up <laughs> yeah absolutely and in Moto3 David Alonso has fully put himself in contention for that championship now after three wins in four races he could have really had four and four if he didn't crash out of if he didn't crash in Austria, which cost him a full twenty five points, he'd be leading the championship right now as a rookie. Yeah, he's twenty one points behind Danny Helgado and he's in fifth place. Mm. So five riders within a race win. That's insane. But, uh, like because Helgado was like sixty odd points in the lead at one point. Now he's four points ahead of Sasaki. Moto 3 is about to get very spicy. I can't wait. Yeah, surprisingly, Moto 2 is now the most dull championship. <laughs> kind of already always was a little bit, I think. 
Yeah, well, I, I guess it wasn't dull for me when I was supporting Remy. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that's true. That's I was just point. enjoying the domination. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but, no, Alonso being there now, two wins, he could probably go and... To be fair, these are tracks he's racing, the Rebel Rookies and stuff. He's never raced India, none of them have. He doesn't really know Japan, Indonesia, Australia, Thailand, might, Malaysia, Qatar, Valencia, he'll know. So this is a test for him now because he doesn't know any of these tracks so he's got to go and learn each track and then try and win but then again he didn't really know Silverstone either and he went and won there so I'm probably just talking rubbish Sasaki's going to be good over the next coming coming races yeah. I reckon I think Sasaki you know, and Masia are going to yeah. be a threat Masia in um, Japan last year was pretty good but remember he had that very big high side yeah so that, he'll yeah. be tentative with that mm. a Sasaki home race coming up of course and then to Indonesia where he did well last year yeah and then Thailand of course coming up where he was very close to on, being on the box there or he was I'm not 100% sure where he finished uh, he last second. year yeah, he was second. yeah so we Malaysia know he's second so. yeah and then oh Qatar will be interesting at this point in the season yeah, because will it be hotter there, or what What will the conditions be like? Um, It will be starting to get cooler than normal. It will probably yeah, be so. very similar, actually, because it is the Northern Hemisphere, so it will be going into winter, but hmm. you know, we normally have the race in March anyway, so it's just on the exit of winter. I mean, I'm not a Qatari local, cause, so I can't speak about what conditions will be like with humidity or wind or anything like that but i'm sure in no. terms of track temp will be around the same yeah that's true that'd be interesting i'm looking forward to that yeah especially because it's really kind of a write-off for me in terms of who's going to be the championship winner because mm. it's just so random it's first of all it's an interesting layout of track and also it takes a few riders a few races to get cooking mm -hmm. it does yeah but so um, now with all the upgrades, yeah. how does KDM fight Ducati in Qatar now? It'd be very interesting. Yeah, because like we say, a few years ago, it was the case that Ducati would come out there and absolutely just smoke everyone in Qatar with the Yamaha doing what they do every so often as well. But this time, with Aprilia, like you said, I've got the swing of things now. KTM have got their upgrades Qatar is not as concrete of being Ducati's as it used to be now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm very excited for that one. And then, of course, season finale in Valencia, the mm. classic. Yeah. Where Bagnaia will definitely go well. Yes, I think so. Hopefully, last year he kind of just trundled him in like 12th or whatever it was to just get the points, yeah. didn't he? <laughs> I mean, he does, he always does what he needs to do, which is really interesting because. I mean, last, I mean, earlier in this year, we saw the pressure start to break him. We look at, like, America and whatnot. Mm. But he's rebuilt that, like, so well. Like, you can't, if you look at him now, you'll see, like, no cracks whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> like, he's pretty much unbeatable at this point. The only thing that beats him is injuries, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, uh, all I know is we're in. We're in for a treat because this 
the next few weeks of MotoGP are going to be insane. Yeah, they're going to be nuts. If you can wake up in the early mornings to watch it live, <laughs> I recommend you do. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It's evening time for me. Oh, Australia's that's the so good. place to be watching this uh, second half of the season. Oh, I'm jealous because I'm not <laughs> looking forward to the rest of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, I think that's all we've got time for now. Um, but I wanted to just quickly, before we end pay my respects to a man who pretty much pioneered MotoGP and got it to where it is today the Irta founder and CEO Mike Trimby who suddenly passed away over the Mizano weekend weirdly because he was in the paddock I believe on Friday like somebody saw him in the paddock and then he was gone which is obviously very tragic and sad um, but yeah so I'd like to pay my respects to him and thank him for his services in the sport. <laughs> yeah, MotoGP wouldn't be where it is today without Erda. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, um, I think that's all we've got time for. Have you got anything to add? No, thank you, thank you for having me, and it's, yeah. it's been it's been great, enjoyable. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Um, if you're happy to be our super sub, then um, next time we can't get Cameron and <laughs> Lauren, I'll give you a call. <laughs> yeah, sounds awesome. Legendary. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's been much appreciated. I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, have a good rest of your day. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thank you. Boom, there we go. Podcast done. <laughs>